Welcome back. It's been a couple weeks since we've had our Wednesday night study due to a number of things. And we're going to pick up where we left off, our study of the great duty of keeping ourselves from iniquity, uh, published by the Northampton Press, the Puritan John Whitlock. Again, these were a series of sermons that he preached, and 40 years later, a publisher finally convinced him to let them, let them print them. And what's interesting, what I will not be going, I intend to, I'm hoping to finish our study of what I wanted to go over in this book with you as a supplement to our study with Thomas Watson on the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, After his sermons, there's a farewell sermon by him to his church. Imagine how long he served there, a very long time. And uh, later in the book, you learn that he was really used by the Lord. It was one of those situations like Richard Baxter where you'd walk through the town and hear families from his church singing the Psalms, having family devotion, discussing the sermons out their windows. But Gideon, be still. Uh, but then this farewell sermon is because he's going to get kicked out of his church by the government because he's a nonconformist and he won't conform to what they're requiring out of conscience. So he's going to have to leave them. And so he gives this amazing farewell sermon from Revelation 3. And then there are, there's two more sermons and they're funeral sermons at his funeral by the same pastor. And they're amazing. And I want to go over every highlight with you, but I won't. We're going to move on. But I strongly recommend picking this book up. It's brief. It's very much like a devotional. And there's so much that he writes about being a minister compared to John the Baptist. He was a burning and shining light. Um, and, then, and then the second sermon he gives a week or so later, and he's speaking to many of the people saying, I know we needed another one. I, I forget exactly why the context. He says, I know many of you have his book, this book. I know many of you still have it, and I'm sure you've read it more than once. And he's referencing keeping ourselves from iniquity in those sermons. Uh, so he's just, it's just such an incredible book to read. And I, I'm going to go through my highlights again just to really soak it in. And I strongly encourage you to, to take a look at it sometime. Uh, the rest of the book, as well, of course, reading through what, we're, what I've briefed through. But the, those last few chapters are really, really uh, some lovely gems that will be tucked away in our library waiting for you to discover them. <laughs> but anyhow, that being said, my intention is to complete this part of the study, and then I intend to go to a couple of things from two chapters in our ancient foe with the Alliance and PNR Publishing that I have referenced earlier, more positive things, and then I intend to go to, and I, I'll probably quote a little bit from Dr., uh, from Pastor, uh, um, oh, sorry. Pastor Bell. <laughs> I'm still catching up from lack of sleep. And <laughs> uh, his series that we found and put up on our website about knowing Satan, your enemy. I'd like to try to listen through that and maybe pepper a few things in that I haven't yet. And then the last study will be is, uh, going through uh, just a couple sections of the book by my professor, C.J. Williams, The Shadow of Christ in the Book of Job. And it is incredible. I read it in the back of Mr. Renner's truck while he was driving us back from Presbytery last October, and I'm like, okay, I have, to, I have to bring this into this study. It's so encouraging. It's so powerful. So, anyways, that's what's coming up. But tonight I'd like to finish, Lord willing, uh, chapter 8, Some Motives to This Duty, and then uh, chapter 9, Ways and Means to Keep You 
uh, from iniquity. I think I should be able to get through tonight. If not, we'll, we'll complete it next time. But uh, again, it's Psalm 18, verse 23. All of these chapters, which are sermons, are based on Psalm 18, 23. The latter part, I have kept myself from mine iniquity. And he's gone out of his way to discuss that, give disclaimers, prove that there are special sins, helping us particularly to know how to identify what our special sins are that we particularly need to give our attention to to be freed from. It's different for everybody. Last time we studied again from him how we need to um, examine ourselves and exhort ourselves. But a lot of that exhortation was, again, trying to recognize what it is that we got to work on. And he acknowledges, I went over a lot of this earlier tonight, some motives to the duty, some motives to the duty. So again, things to give you motivation, to encourage you to really go out of your way to do this. Now again, this is a way to personalize the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And as I've been challenging you, have you done anything with this? Have you gone, how, gone home and prayed to the Lord, show me what my special sins are? You know, like Psalm 139, even if it's hidden from me, help me to deal with it and show me so that I can start working on it, including in prayer as well as in life. So here are some motives to do that. A second branch of the exhortation. So the first one was mostly examine yourself, find out what it is. And then the second branch of exhortation, that is telling you what you ought to do about it. Okay? Gideon, Gideon, you need to stop. You're being a good boy, but you didn't have an app today and it's showing, okay? Hang in there. Second branch of the exhortation. Having first found out which is your special iniquity, so that's a lot of what he just spent time exhorting again. After you've made the effort to find out what your special sins are, now again, have you done that? Because if you haven't, in some ways, we're getting ahead of ourselves with this part. So think about it now. Pray about it now. After you've done that, then you must endeavor to cast it out of your hearts and lives. Now, of course, he's, he's touched on this already. The purpose of finding it out is to throw it out, right? Christ talks about if it's your eye or your hand, whatever that makes you sin, cut it off and cast it out, right? So the purpose of finding it out is to cast it out, to throw it out, to get rid of this. And think about if it's your special sins, if it's your biggest issue in your life, imagine what's going to happen to your life and transformation and holiness and growth and grace when you focus on getting rid of it. All right, motive number one. If it is a reigning sin, now remember the last chapter he gave a pastoral disclaimer for some people, it's a reigning sin, meaning you're not a Christian. Jesus is not your king, so this sin is your king. But some of you, it's not a reigning sin. It's a tyrannizing sin. It terrorizes you, but Jesus is your king. And this is, a, this is just a big problem for you to keep working on, but you will because Christ is your king. But motive number one, if it's a reigning sin, that is, if you're not a Christian, really, and this thing is running your life as your king, he says this, motive to deal with it. It is likely to be the great bar and hindrance of your sound conversion. You know, you could be coming to church, lots of people coming to church, having family worship, going to men's Bible studies, whatever, but you're not really converted. Evidenced by the fact that whatever this habitual lifestyle is, many of them that are identified specifically in Paul's letters and says, don't think you're going to heaven. 
which means don't think you're actually a true convert. It's this sinful lifestyle that is keeping you from conversion and keeping you from Christ and keeping you from heaven. And that's what he's warning. Whatever is your secret or special sin, the biggest thing you need to work in your life, if you're not a Christian, it's going to keep you from being a Christian. That's what's going to keep you. Not something else. That's the thing that will imprison you in the claws of Satan and drag you to hell with him. You have to be released of it. Motive number two, he says, if it is a reigning sin, again, you're not a Christian and this thing is your king. Your whole life revolves around it. And all the other sins do, remember. If it is a reigning sin, this iniquity will be a worm at the root of your profession. Of all your gifts, duties, and performances, and eat out the heart of them, will hinder you from all truly sanctifying and saving profit by them. Though you, by means of your knowledge and professed experience and outwardly blameless conversation, are duly admitted to ordinances on the minister's part, yet it will hinder you from all real spiritual communion with God in them and true scriptural comfort from them. It says, though you'll go to the means of grace and you participate in church and you're playing the Christian, you'll have nothing. The means of grace won't do a thing for you. Because this thing is blocking you from them. You can fake it. And he goes, talks about the main faker, Judas. He says Judas could preach, pray, and work miracles. No less than the other apostles. But covetousness was his beloved lust. This lay at the bottom and spoiled all. So that he lost all his labor. Yea, his life and his soul into the sad bargain. And so will you, O soul, if either covetousness, uncleanness, drunkenness, pride, injustice, or any other sin whatsoever is beloved by you or rules in you. Remember, Paul says, I want to be careful that after I preach to you, I'm not myself a castaway. It's possible. There are people who go up into the pulpit and even know how to say the right things to you are actually whitewashed tombs. It's possible. Get nothing out of even what they're preaching. I was thinking bringing the, the kids to um, the church where they have, uh, Abe has his high school academy, and just rejoicing again that the pastor there now and his associate are there. And I was thinking about that church, much bigger than ours, but like-minded, what they went through over many years with a pastor who was a public drunkard and an associate pastor who was an adulterer. And I thought to myself, wow, thank you, Lord, for seeing them through that. And, uh, but what does it say about those men? Yea, and you who are believers and upright in the main. So he warns you, if you're not a believer, it's going to keep you from being a believer, and it'll keep you from any of the means of your salvation, including the Word of God. We just saw last Sunday, last Lord's Day evening, the Word of God is able to build you up, and as Paul says to Titus, able to save you. But it isn't able to save you if the Holy Spirit doesn't make you respond to it. He says, you who are believers and upright in the main. Now, maybe you are a believer, so this is not, gonna, this is not your king. It's not going to keep you from hell, but it is your tear. It's, it is your, uh, the tyranny over you. Okay? It's the tyrant over your life that you still need to be freed from to, to be able to benefit more by everything. He writes this, to you Christians 
who have this tyrant that you really need to uh, decapitate. He says, they will much hinder and interrupt your communion with God in holy duties and in the settled peace and comfort of your souls. They will hinder you from getting the good by ordinances. You will not benefit very much from the comfort and peace that comes from the ordinances. Uh, Isaac, can you come here and get the mic? Um, how do we know, how can we, how can we identify if we have a tyrant in our life? Or a king? Or the how can you know if you're king? a Christian or not is really no, the answer? No, how can Well, that is the question. Oh. Uh, because if it's a tyrant, it means that you're a Christian. If it's a king, it means Jesus is not your king, so you're not. How do you know whether or not you're getting any benefit? whether you're finding a response to it in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8, it says the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirits that we are the children of God. And so there's a reality that the Holy Spirit will confirm in, in your spirit that you are. Okay? Gabriel, yeah, real quick. Got to use the mic. So, um, how is the Bible... Like, how's the Bible passed to from the to, from God to the prophets and then to us? Okay, good question. It's a little outside of our study tonight, but basically, uh, such as in Peter, the Holy Spirit again is part of the answer. God says that the Holy Spirit wrote all of the books of the Bible through these people He inspired, and by his providence, has kept it preserved for us? That's so a great question. I, I want to move on really quick. Whatever so it is after like this, I'm going to move on. when <laughs> you're like get too old and yeah. then you like are raised to heaven. What's that now? It's like when you get too old and then you're gone and then you're like raised to heaven. Uh, maybe you're thinking about like how the spirit would be lifting us up when we go to heaven, kind of, but it's, it's not really the same, but you're asking wonderful questions, but I need to, I need to move back to our study okay. a little bit. Okay. Good job, buddy. I'd love to hear that you're listening. So I want to talk about this again. The means of grace are going to hinder You're going to be hindered to be blessed as a Christian if it's a tyrant for you. And so for instance, Psalm 66, 18, I'll read for you. Uh, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And you won't hear the Lord. You know, if you're going to quench the Holy Spirit, if you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit, and you won't listen to him when he's trying to convince your spirit to get over this stuff, then you're not going to be, you're going to kind of be dead to these things. You know, you see people in relationships when they're hardened to one another, you see they hardly communicate. And when anything's said, it, you almost can tell eyes are glazed over, it's not getting in, Right? Uh, when you are regarding iniquity in your heart, especially the iniquity you're to keep yourself from, your special sins, you shouldn't expect to be growing in the Lord. Right? It doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like you're trying to see a fire grow in you, but you keep putting it out. You know, you keep putting it out. Not, you should be putting the fuel of holiness on it, but you're, you're quenching it with, you know, some stank water from the pond that's disgusting. So, motive number two is, you're not going to get anything out of what's supposed to be a blessing to you from God. 
You're gonna, or you're going to be very limited in what you get out of it if you're a Christian. Um, now, number, mo, number, motive number one, if you're not a Christian, it's going to keep you from becoming one. Okay? But even as a non-Christian, in terms of general operations of the Holy Spirit we have in the scriptures and general providence, you're still not really going to benefit from things that you'll see others really blessed by. And as a Christian, if you're really a slave to these things, you're really not going to make a lot of progress in piety. You're going to not have the fruits of the Spirit, which is going to show in a lack of joy, a lack of peace, a lack of self-control, those kinds of things that are listed in Galatians 5, right? And those are going to be gifts and blessings to you, right? You know, for instance, we're told by Paul, instead of worrying, be praying, but if we're going to refuse and we're going to let worry be our special sin that runs our lives as a tyrant, well, then we're not going to be praying. And guess what? It's the praying instead of the worrying that gives us what? The peace of God that passeth all understanding. Yes, the comfort. Specifically, the peace of God that passeth all understanding keeps your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But that's going to be lacking, limited, if you're going to be regarding sin in your heart, uh, that especially that special sin, mine iniquity, I'm to keep myself from. All right, motive number three. This, your beloved lust, is very likely to prove a root of apostasy to you. It is this that causes so many professors to prove apostates at last. Anyone reigning sin is like a leak in a ship that if it is not stopped or the water pumped out will certainly at last sink the ship. I'd like to read that illustration again, but what he's saying is, you know, Paul talks about apostates in the New Testament. They were one of us. We all thought they were, and then they completely abandoned Christ and the church and the faith. Well, we know ultimately they never were of us, but they were saying the right profession, maybe even thought they were Christians themselves. I told you I have a friend that was a big influence on me in becoming a serious Christian, and uh, in adulthood, as I ministered here, he called me, emailed me, we talked on the phone, and he's denied the faith completely. Four kids going to Christian school, his wife's leadership, but he's completely denied the faith. Blew me away. Uh, Likely, there was some sin there. Maybe it's particularly pride, considering what seemed to convince him against Christianity. Um, that was one of the things listed. But notice this. Whatever that sin is, it could be what ends up making you apostate. It's eventually going to sink you. So you always think you can keep kind of getting the, 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 the bucket. You can, you can stay ahead of sinking, right? But no, listen again. Any one reigning sin is like a leak in a ship that if it is not stopped plugged, or the water pumped out will certainly at last sink the ship. Either your religion will cause you to leave your beloved lusts, or they will be likely to make you leave your religion and duties when your lusts and these come in competition. You, it, it's not a neutral thing. There's always going to be a fighting and either your lusts are going to sink you or your religion is going to send them out identify them so you can throw them overboard okay uh, he says this keep yourselves from your iniquities lest you prove judas's and you who are upright in the main these may cause great decays of grace if you don't get rid of it, some of you, it's going to prove you to be apostate, leave the church like Judas. And by the way, his death was nasty, right? Hung himself, fell from a tree, the guts spilled all out, 
It's just this, it's the end of your life. It's not the way you want it to be, let alone entering uh, eternity. But uh, also, for those of you who are truly Christians, it will cause great decays of grace. Great decays of grace. Motive number four. You that are yet in your unconverted state, so if you're not a Christian and the sinful lifestyle is your king, these are the sins that will most torment your souls in hell forever. He gives us Revelation 18.7. How much she hath lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. So think about that. Whatever really kept you from Christ ultimately... Whatever really kept you from bowing to the king and giving your whole life over because that lifestyle you would not give over to Christ. That's what's going to torment you the most in hell. You'll always be saying, I wouldn't have Christ for that. I have this for eternity now for that. That is what will torment you the most that kept you out of hell, kept you out of heaven, and kept you in hell. It'll be what you love the most is your pet sin and lifestyle that rules your whole life and keeps you from Christ. It'll be what torments you the most in hell. He lists among a number of very, very horrible, sinful lifestyles. I have to highlight this one. Can you guess? I've done it before. Sabbath breaking. Someday I'm going to go back through my books. I need to start to keep a list maybe before I put this book in the library. Do you know how often when these different Puritan books are highlighting sins that are especially bad, sometimes when they only list three, they almost always list Sabbath breaking as one of them, which I think we observe in the broader church and in too many of those who come to our church and too many in the Reformed church, are fine with breaking the Sabbath. He lists it as one of the most heinous sins. I find that encouraging because we really try to stand on this one and we suffer for it <laughs> a lot. It's the number one reason people don't stay. We actually expect you to come to church, protect the whole day, and we expect you to be here in the evening. And people don't want that. Sabbath breaking... Uh, is listed as one of the top ones. Now, I'm just mentioning that. I'm not going to go through everything, but I just highlight that. Uh, and it's just so constant. But again, he says, uh, he references Luke 16, 25. Thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, but now thou art tormented. Uh, Abraham, speaking to the rich man who's crying from hell, please have Lazarus reach down and just touch my tongue with some water to give me relief in this horrible place. Please go tell my family still alive that they don't come here. He says, in your life, you had the good things, and now you're in torment. The things that comforted you in this life will be the things that torment you the most later because they kept you from the kingdom of heaven, and they kept you in the kingdom of hell. And you can't fake it anymore that it's good. He says, you that are upright. Again, now you who are actually Christians, these special sins will cause the greatest wounds and gashes in your consciences here. You'll be freed from them in heaven, but they will be your worst companions here. They will torment your conscience. 
They will just ruin your ability to have the abundant life here that Jesus promises, not just eternal life, but joy unspeakable. All these things will be so limited for you by your special sins that you refuse to let go of, that you refuse to identify, and then cast out. Motive number five. These will provoke God judiciously to give you up to lust. What could be scarier? They will provoke God to give up, give you up. He lists, and, and I won't go over them because I'd like to try to get through the next chapter, but Romans 1, 24 and 26 and 28, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 to 12, God gives these people up to their sins, especially to certain ones after time. He allows their consciences to be seared. He gives them up. And, and again, beloved, just think about that similar to having parents. The worst thing your father or mother could do to you is to give up on you and not discipline you and leave you to do whatever you want. That's the worst thing. You'll destroy yourself. And in this case, the Lord giving up on you because you won't give up on such things, that's a scary thing to let you go on and do what you want to do. And... You have that, that, that thing that keeps you addicted to it, but it comes with all of the ruin. It comes with all of the destruction. It comes with all the pain in your conscience. As a Christian, you'll never be happy. You'll never be at peace with it. Thankfully, if you're a Christian, you'll be free of it in heaven. But you won't be free of the hellish consequences here, beginning in your soul. Motive number six, those you are most prone to and most frequently foiled by, these are the sins that the men of the world will take occasion from to reproach religion. Whatever is your obvious big problem, that's what people around you, your neighbors, people that know you, work with you, that's what they will use as their excuse to never come to the church and never come to Christ and never take the gospel seriously. It will be whatever your big sin problem is, it'll be the worst witness against Christianity and keep non-believers out of the church of God. Because they'll be thinking you're such a what? Hypocrite. You just talk about freedom and all these things. And so, for instance, uh, a person that we just had to deal with again recently, as you know, and had to excommunicate years before, had to uh, ban. Uh, this person told me that early on, uh, and their church was dealing with them up in another place about it before they ever came here, the person's grandmother, the Catholic grandmother he was trying to witness to, didn't take him seriously and said, but you're living with a woman. You go into this reformed church and you're trying to share the gospel with me, but you're living out of wedlock with a woman. I can't take you seriously. And I said, of course she couldn't take you seriously. Nobody's going to take you seriously. It'll be a horrible witness. It'll keep believers, unbelievers away. Motive number seven. Motive what? That you would not only find out this special sin, but cast out this special sin from your life. Motive number seven. The sins that of all others will most weaken your graces, hinder the exercise of them and growth in them, yea, impair them and cause decays in them. And these will most hinder your spiritual comfort and joy in God. 
frequent, and now you were just told, to, told, right, our scripture we looked at recently, exercise thyself unto godliness. But whatever your worst sin is, is going to keep you from picking up the weights. It's going to keep you from getting out of bed. And literally they do, don't they? Often. It's going to keep you from your main responsibilities. It's going to keep you from growing in grace. Not only will it cause decay, it's going to limit you from the graces of lifestyle that will help you grow. He says, frequent falls into your special sins will cause weakness in your souls, in your graces, and your spiritual limbs, and cause you so that you cannot act so steadily and vigorously in the exercise of grace and performance of duties. So even the things that you are better about, even the areas of life that you are more faithful in, because everybody has their different special sins and other issues that is not a special problem, But in the godly good things that you are better at, this will hold you back from them. This will limit your growth in them. And and that's to be encouraging us. When we get rid of this, it'll help with all other sins. But when you get rid of this, it'll help with all other graces and growth as well. Even in the things that you're not plagued with. He says, as falls in childhood hinder growth oftentimes so that such children prove but dwarfs all their days. So frequent falls into these your iniquities may cause you to prove but dwarfs in Christianity. And lastly, of this chapter, motive number eight. Motive again to what? To say, woe is me and hang yourself and have all your guts spill out like Judas? No. To have you go hide your head in the sand and wait for the second coming or your death and not try to do anything about it? No. The whole point, motives, to change, okay, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Motive number eight, this kind of iniquity will embitter affliction to you when you lie under it and render death and the thoughts of it most unwelcome, yea, dreadful to you. It is the guilt and prevailing of this sin above all others that will put a sting into afflictions and into death and the thoughts of it. Nor will you be able to bear the thoughts of death comfortably. At some point, there is a day appointed for you and I to die, and after that, the judgment, Hebrews. And nothing will make you more scared of death than to face this special iniquity before the Lord. Nothing will make you more scared to wonder what is going to catch up to you at your death in your life and those around you. It's going to make you afraid to face death which is interesting to consider. I've shared with you a number of times that when we would do our evangelism and apologetic assignments uh, going around, usually we'd go to some of the college campuses. Near the seminary were quite a few college campuses and some big ones. University of Pittsburgh. And by the way, if you, excuse me, I've got a button, my button I've noticed. <laughs> Sorry, I can't do that without you seeing. Um, uh, University of Pittsburgh has something called the Cathedral of Learning. The whole campus is just amazing. It's these old campuses built out of stone. You can't do that anymore, you know, the cost. But the Cathedral of Learning is quite the sight from within and without. But also Carnegie Mellon University, where several famous actors have gone. These were places close to the seminary we'd usually go to. Both of them amazing places. And uh, when we would talk to students and you'd do these diagnostic questions, like um, uh, the big one we would ask, what do you think will happen with you when you die? It's an important question to make people think about, right? It's the whole reason you would consider Christianity. 
Do you know what the, do you remember what I say is the, the number one answer almost everybody answers? Gabriel, I don't think. If you're not a Christian, you'll either go to hell, but if you are a Christian, you'll go to heaven. Amen. Good. So that's the right answer our five-year-old is saying. What's going to happen to you when you die? Hold on. If you're not a Christian, you go to hell. If you are a Christian, you go to heaven. Of course, that's by Christ, right? But let me, let me actually, here's what I'm wanting to get at. When we would ask these college students, prime of their life, I mean, it's not like they're old and having to face the reality of it sooner. Some of them probably would have, and they didn't know it, but, well, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? Almost everyone said, I don't like to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I wonder why. Because they are now ready for it, and they know it. Their conscience can't escape their creator. Romans, right? One and two. And even in that young time before they have... What does Psalm 25 say? Pray to the Lord, don't remember the sins of my youth. You know, like later in life, especially, how many people die with regrets? Die with shuddering consciences as they face death because they haven't made it right with God. And these special sins become their special nightmares, become their special tormentors. And even if you're a Christian... If this is something you won't identify, examine yourself, and then get rid of, it's going to torment you all your life, and then especially at your deathbed, it's going to torment you the most more than anything else. That is a good motive. I find that extremely motivating, don't you? I don't want that, (laughs) right? All right, well, we get into the last chapter I'm going to study with you from this book, and then we'll move on. This is briefer. Ways and means to keep yourself from your iniquity. Ways and means to keep yourself from your iniquity. Um, uh, He gives directions. uh, There there are five, six directions, briefly. Uh, Direction number one, how can you keep yourself from your special sins? Number one, would you keep yourselves from your iniquities? Endeavor to get a deep and thorough sense and conviction of the great sin and evil of this, your special iniquity. How dishonorable it has been, is, and will be to God. And how greatly prejudicial it is to you, your soul and body too. And labor to keep this sense upon your spirit all your days, so as to confess and bewail it before the Lord, and to be greatly humbled for it confess. Uh, uh, actually, hold on. I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. He gives 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 15, Philippians 3, 7, and 9, 7 through 9. But think of it this way. He's saying the special sins are what you love the most and you make excuses for the most. Remember, uh, uh, Thomas, uh, Derek Thomas said there are little pets, you know, there are our most favorite things. We actually dress them up and protect them. And, you know, we're the most willing to cozy with them. And Thomas Watson spoke similarly about them, right? And uh, he says, what you have to do is really address how evil and wicked they are. You have to really pray that the Lord helps you see how devastatingly evil and wicked and disgusting and horrible this is. You must truly hate it. You must pray that God helps you hate it all your days to recognize how much it's been running and ruining your life, the life of your family, the life of your church and others, whether they know it or not. 
You have to always keep before you, this is dangerous. This is the most dangerous thing to me in my life. And then he says, confession and humiliation are, as it were, the soul's vomit. He means this in a good way. Caused by its being sick of sin. Now what has made persons heart sick? They will not easily be persuaded to feed on again, though it may be pleasing to the palate. What he says is, you know, whatever that was, it tasted so good. Oh, man, then I was so sick all night. You hope that more drunkards would finally get to this, right? Oh, you know, the initial benefit, but then I'm, uh, you know, bowing at the, the porcelain throne all morning, right? You know, uh, he said, you know, you really need to, you need to let confession be like vomiting it up, right? It's, just, it's bad for you, and your body instinctively knows to vomit up something that makes you sick. And you feel better after. Real confession is a violent giving it up unto the Lord. And hating it, and like hating it the way he hates it. And we need to be mindful of that because if we won't vomit it up, Revelation, Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, I will vomit you out of my body. Keep a sense of the odiousness and bitterness of them upon your hearts. Remind yourself of what they really are because Satan is always going to be painting it with nice, pretty things. Wrapping it in nice, pretty bowls, special scents that you only recognize later and not so long later, right? Direction number two, be earnest and importunate. In prayer, importunate uh, is just like really going after it, not stopping, uh, be earnest and importunate in prayer to God, as for pardon of so, for power against these your special iniquities. Beg earnestly for special grace and strength against your special sins. Confess them before the Lord, instead of avoid dealing with them before the Lord, and then beg the Lord to rescue and deliver and save you from them. And if you're earnestly asking for that, you think he's not going to answer that prayer? When his will for you is your sanctification? Beg God to help you, but you'll never beg him until you confess and know it is as disgusting as he does. But when you do, beg him. It's not enough to just be, oh, oh, please help me never go back to that. Like a dog going back to his vomit, the Proverbs speak of, right? Be earnest and beg God for the special grace. Pray for special grace. Say, Lord, this is a special sin in my life. I pray for special grace. I pray, Holy Spirit, for a special movement to save me from this. Push me out of bed. Push it out of my hand, whatever it is. Lord, help me, please. Direction number three. You who are believers, to add faith in Christ and the lively, vigorous actings of it upon him, as for the forgiveness of it, so for power against it, and for the sin-killing virtue of the death of Christ, to kill and crucify this your too prevailing corruption. Fetch in from Christ by faith constant supplies of spiritual strength against these sins of yours. Kill them. Destroy them. Vomit them up, ask God to give you special strength, and kill them. Go to war with them. Again, what does Paul say? Put off the old man, put on the new man. Vivification of self comes after mortification of sin. Murder, killing it. And he says, it is God who must keep you. You cannot keep yourselves. Psalm 127.1 that we sang this night. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Uh, 
And he points out in Psalm 19, 12 to 13, we also sang, Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, and I shall be innocent. So again, um, Add faith in Christ, the lively, vigorous actings upon him. That's actually more of the emphasis. I, I misread it a little bit. I read past it a little bit. Yes, we need to kill the sins, but the bigger thing he's saying is make use of Christ. Go to Christ. Make a lively use of Christ. Don't try to do this by yourself. You need God to do this in you. And again, Thomas Watson closes his whole study of the sixth petition with that pastoral care. Don't do this alone. You can only do this in and with Christ. Beg Christ to cleanse you. Beg Christ to work in you. If you don't do it with the Lord, you do it in vain. And you may have cleaned that room, but the seven demons are coming back. It's going to be worse than before. Pray for Christ and his spirit to do this work. Direction number four. Make use of the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Study, apply, and use the word both written and preached against your strongest and most prevailing corruptions. Now remember in Ephesians, Paul speaks about putting on the whole armor of God and the sword of the spirit. Look in that window behind me now. Spiritus gladius, sword of the spirit. What did we just study last Lord's Day evening? It is the word of God that can build you up and again, save you and help you grow in grace. Open the word. Exercise thyselves unto godliness, and one of the biggest things you need to exercise with is the word of God. And also, use the examples of the saints in using the word. Let those who've gone before you, let those around you work on their own issues. Let their example and encouragement help you. Be around the right people and, 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 and acknowledge and witness and model their example and be encouraged and motivated by their success in the spiritual growth by doing these things. Number five, direction number five, be jealous of and over your own hearts and be very watchful against that iniquity of yours you find yourselves most prone to and against all occasions of it. Cut off from it all provisions, Romans 13, 14. Starve these sins of yours. Do not pamper them. Deny yourself in whatever tends to feed your sin. Take heed of that company you find is likely to draw you into your peculiar iniquity. And this is where I was thinking he was going before. Go to Christ. Go to Christ. Now go to the Holy, the Word of the Spirit, and by the Word of the Spirit, the Word of God, the Bible. But then, direction five: kill this stuff. Starve it. Strangle it. As Jesus says, cut it out. Pluck it out. Throw it away. Violent. You've got to be violent. You've got to be serious. A lot of people need to say, well, why am I not really growing in grace? Because you're not taking it seriously. You're not taking your sins seriously. You're not taking your special sins seriously. Direction six, the last one, and we'll close. Labor to grow most of all in and most to exercise that grace which is most directly contrary to that sin you are most prone to and most easily and frequently foiled by. For contraries do best and most effectually expel each other. What he's saying is whatever is your special sin, whatever are the, the, the sins that you particularly have running your life as a tyrant, and limiting your spiritual growth. Do focus on filling your life with the opposite. 
Focus on doing the opposite. So if it's pride, you focus on humility. Find a lot of the Bible verses on humility and pray over them. And when it's pride, you particularly try to kill that for a period of time. So, for instance, uh, uh, the book John Downham, uh, we had read, uh, well, we, I gave you a sermon on anger. Just anger, but don't let it go uh, overnight and don't involve yourself in unjust anger. He talked about anger. He said, one of, the, one of the suggestions he said, go for one day without letting yourself be unjustly angry. Catch yourself. Never let yourself act on it for one day. And after that one day, go for another one. Because again, this is all about building new holy habits. Now, of course, not just not being angry. How would you deal with anger? What's the opposite of anger? Joy. One of the fruits of the Spirit. So a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Find some good, healthy things to laugh about. Spend your times around optimists. Spend your time bouncing around with Tigger. Keep your distance from Eeyore. <laughs> you know? Uh, whatever, the, whatever the sin is, give yourself to the opposite. But focus on it. Don't just focus on kill, identifying and cutting out the sin. Focus on the new man you got to put in there. And the best way to keep it from coming back with extra demons is to fill it with the fruits of the Holy Spirit that most relate to that. If it's peace that you maybe want to focus on, that might be the opposite of worry or fear. If it's pride, again, humility, focus on Bible verses. Find a lot of Bible verses. Do a study on that and regularly pray over them and discipline yourself to them. So uh, if you have a problem with swearing or complaining, you catch yourself, and you have, you're working on memorizing good Bible verses, and you catch yourself from complaining, and you say, I'm going to praise you, Lord, for this providence, and I'm going to trust what you might want to do with it. You, you keep putting in the new. You don't just try to stop saying something bad. You fill it with good. Instead of, you say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. You know? Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Fill it with that. So whatever it is, and if you've identified, I trust and hope that you have, what you need to work on the most in terms of sins and how you're going to cut it out, you've also got to say, what am I going to fill its place with? And you don't wait till you've figured out how to cut it all out. As you make any room, you get any cracks, you fill it. You fill it with good stuff. And that eventually will just push and crackle all the bad stuff and fill with the good. You start putting in any place you can where you're having even the littlest growth. You, you put something good in there. You fill it with good. You fill it with prayer. You fill it with Bible reading. You fill it with grace. But specifically those issues. And if you need some support, uh, a lot of good Bible software, you let me know. If you want me to s focus on, you know, you don't need to mention the, the, the particular sins, unless you want pastoral counsel with that. But what you could say is, and I'm not going to let my mind wander, uh, you could say, hey, I'm wanting to see more of the fruit of this. Can you do a quick study for me on your, your Bible software? And would you shoot me a whole bunch of Bible verses I could be focusing and praying over and putting to work there. I'd be happy to do that for you. Um, I would be so happy to do that for you. I mean, even like last week when we noticed according to thy word came up in Psalm 119 seven times, I, I found that, I discovered by, that by searching that phrase after I came. You know, I think that's there a number of times. 
you know, it's, it's so nice to do searches like that. Not that you can't do them yourselves, but feel free to call on me. Uh, I got some pretty good Bible software that I've, that I've used a lot that I can try to do that for you. But fill it in with good things. Put on the new man. As Romans says, put on Christ. Okay? And uh, if you're just trying not to sin, that's not enough. Remember what we learned with him and with Watson is you're, you're the, the, what's implied and, and lead me not into temptation but deliver me from evil is help me make progress in piety. Help me grow in holiness. And I guess I will share with you because I kind of had fun with it off the cuff, but that idea of um, exercise uh, in our scripture, Timothy, three times, uh, Greek is basically gymnasium as a noun or a verb, right? You know, exercise yourself unto godliness. But remember, what did I say? You could translate that word also as harass. Harass yourselves unto holiness. And then fill yourselves with holiness. Let's pray together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I think I want to say, related to what we did already pray, like, you know, fill your time, your hearts with the word, with time with Christ. Fill your life with Christ. Fill those areas that the devil was working with. Fill it with Christ and his words and his spirit. Um, it comes to mind to kind of, kind of emphasize that. Okay, Lord willing, we'll be back. Uh, well, if the baby comes... I don't know, maybe won't be here next week, at least I won't be. But uh, otherwise, we'll see you next Wednesday. And we're going to go back to the book, Our Ancient Foe, PNR Publishing and the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And we'll look at a couple of quick chapters. Sinclair Ferguson's one of them. I think Joel Beakey is the other. We're just going to draw a few things out of that that are particularly positive and encouraging to, to close this study with before we get to the, the last crescendo of my professor C.J. Williams' work on the shadow of Christ in the and in the book of Job and his conquering over Satan as the main idea of that whole book. Okay, uh, one other thing I want to say real quick, I'd like to say Gideon and Gabriel, you were particularly well behaved tonight. And even Gideon, we had to speak to you a little bit, but you've done very well. Keep up the good work, okay? And uh, yeah, and Gabriel, especially today, boy, he was, our, he was helping me with evangelism today. And you should see this guy read. I was helping him with school today because I had a little extra time to help mom. I tell you, mom's, mom's working hard. All of a sudden, this kid's reading, like, really well. I couldn't believe it. So we'll have to have him show that off in a little while. I said, I'm going to have you start reading to Gideon for me. But you guys were very well behaved tonight. Proud of you. Good job. We've got to not just correct, but encourage and say good job. Okay. Uh, I did pray, so you are dismissed. Have a wonderful week. Oh, I forgot to pray. Did I pray for the lemons for your vacation? I think I forgot to. Let me pray for that real quick. I know, no, I don't think I did. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, for, I ask uh, forgiveness. I pray, Lord, for uh, Chad and Rachel Lemon on their uh, lovely trip to uh, see Yosemite and uh, the sequoias. Lord, give them safety. Bless them with a tremendous, wonderful time with you and one another in what many have said is one of the most beautiful places on earth that you have created. Lord, bless them greatly and at this special time where there should be lots of 
gorgeous snow on the mountains. Let them rejoice and think of you in the scriptures that say you put it there and you're supplying all of our needs. Give them safety there and back. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you are dismissed. Run before I have something else to say.